If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know, people sometimes want to compliment me and say, wow, you, how did you do that character? And I'm like, I was doing you. You're how I did that character, you know? It's, it's not as crazy or complex as people would think if you can have the fearlessness and specificity to, to dive into those things that you've experienced. This is Paul Walter Hauser. And I am a liberal and a Christian. Hi again, listeners, and welcome to a brand new spanking episode of Off the Beat. I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. As you just heard, Paul Walter Hauser is on the program today. I am so excited about this. I'm a huge, huge fan of his work. Never had met him before, but I think you're going to enjoy this deep dive into his career. Now, to give you an idea of Paul's range, let me just list some of the characters he's taken on during his career so far. Bodyguard Sean Eckert in I, Tanya, a white supremacist in Black Klansman, the unexpected and wrongfully accused hero in Richard Jewell, 
the eccentric Stingray in Cobra Kai, one of Cruella's henchmen in Cruella, and the incredibly creepy serial killer in a show I recently became a very, very big fan of, Blackbird. I admire Paul so much. He has this ability to take on the physicality and the voices of the characters he portrays. It's stunning. And you never know what he's going to pull out of the bag next. So I was excited to dive into his journey as an actor, as a writer, and as an overall stand-up guy. I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Are you excited? I sure as hell am. Paul Walter Hauser, everybody. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before What's up, Paul? Brian, how are you, dude? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. Really good to see you. I, I My buddy Ryan Zachary, who I haven't seen in a bit, Yes. Yeah, he, uh, he told me he was doing your podcast and said you should come on. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, in 2 seconds, let's do it. I appreciate it so much. I am a huge fan of yours and oh, thanks, your work, particularly Blackbird. That comedy I did, Blackbird. Yeah, yeah, you you're a you're a real stand-up comedian that somehow has totally changed uh the course of your <laughs> career, which I definitely want to talk about. You grew up in a place I'm going this week, Grand Rapids. No kidding. I'm going this week. I think technically I will end up in Big Rapids. Ferris State University? Ferris State University. I know it well. I almost went there. You did? I almost went there, yeah. I heard you only went to college for like 10 minutes, though. Yeah, I... (laughs) (laughs) I was not long for the university life. I never liked school. I just liked extracurriculars and socializing. So I went to a little parochial Christian uh, college in River Forest Oak Park, Illinois, like near Chicago. And that that was fun for two and a half semesters. And then I dropped out and tried to do the Hollywood thing. Yeah. You grew up in Michigan. When did you realize that performing was something you want to do. I know you started stand-up very early, but when, when, when did you first realize you may want to go in that direction? I think I always liked performing, and I had kind of a fearless social thing where I I would get up in front of company at my house and do impersonations of family members or recite Saturday Night Live sketches. I remember being like eight or nine years old, 10 years old, doing impersonations of Jack Nicholson and Jimmy Stewart in the mirror. Yeah. And that was the beginning. And then I did a bunch of theater and I think I did 10 plays in my four years of high school. So it was almost like being a a two sport athlete, but for artistic endeavors, you know, and then uh, started doing stand up comedy and writing screenplays at 16. I just bought a bunch of books on screenwriting from Barnes and Noble and devoured it. I wrote two features before I graduated high school. I was doing local shows at colleges and bars and churches in my hometown area and then it wasn't until i auditioned to be a background actor like an extra in this indie film with jennifer Connolly and ed harris called virginia 
And I went to be an extra, but I saw the filmmaker, the writer-director there, this guy, Dustin Lance Black, who won the Oscar for writing the movie Milk. And I just said to him, I was like, hey, man, you know, loved your film. It was really touching and moving and loved your Oscar speech when you said God doesn't hate the gay youth of, of the world. Like, I, I'm a professed Christian and kind of conservative, but I, I'll tell you, I, I think more people need to say that and live that. And, and thank you for speaking up and saying that. So it was like a minute conversation. It wasn't long, but whatever I said or did, he brought me back for an audition and I booked number six on the call sheet and I'm doing scenes with Ed Harris and his wife, Amy Madigan and, and Jennifer Connelly. It was, it was a crazy first job to get. And I got to move to Hollywood with $8,500 and this really cool, you know, thing on my resume. That's awesome. I mean, you, you said you were writing. I hear you have dozens of scripts that are written. Were you more focused early on on the performing aspect of it? Or, I mean, it sounds like you were interested in everything. Was it performing or writing? I loved all of it, man. I really, I, I was fascinated by casting. I was fascinated by production design. I, I loved directing short films in high school and college. I even do it now. So I was just trying to break into the business. I, I thought maybe if I do all these things, one of them will hit. It's kind of like playing roulette, right? Uh, I was just like stand-up comedy, screenwriting, acting, acting in drama and comedy. You know, I, at some point I would have just had a bake sale outside of Warner Brothers and because I was pretty undeterred and pretty obsessed with trying to break in, you know? Yeah. That experience that you had in Virginia, do you think that that shaped you as at least a, a person in the business later on? I mean, it shaped me in the sense that I, I, I knew that there were good people in Hollywood that was the vibe I got because, you know, when you grow up in a ultra conservative setting and you're highly religious, it's, it's easy to fall into this thing of believing that Hollywood is, uh, is this really awful place with all these awful people. And it's like, I think it's a place full of a bunch of real regular people, but it just so happens that egos and greed and things play in a little bit more aggressively in our business than say people that work for TurboTax, you know, it's, a, <laughs> it just happens to be an environment that plays on the, uh, the generational, you know, cyclical sins we as humans all incur and then sometimes rewards them or doesn't slap wrists for some of them. And, and that's its own thing. But yeah, no, I, I would say that I learned that you can work with wonderful people in Hollywood I learned to not be afraid to improvise. My whole thing was I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to ask forgiveness. At that time, especially, I was obsessed with the Christopher Guest mockumentaries like Waiting for Guffman. And my whole thing was I'm going to be one of those actors. I'm not going to try to be Robert De Niro. I'll never be De Niro. I can't be De Niro. But you bet your ass I can be Ed Begley Jr. You bet right. your ass I can be Fred Willard. And I went into it like that, and I was rewarded for it. Lance Black, who had an Oscar for writing, is telling me he loves my improv. So, right. like, that gave me a lot of confidence and let me know my my true north as a performer will always be to, to go with my gut instincts. I mean, you talked early on about standing up and doing impressions of family members or big movie stars of the day, Jack, etc., do you feel like that influenced you in terms of creating characters 
making vocal and physical choices. Is that something that was always interesting to you? Yeah, I I was I was sitting at brunch today with our buddies. My wife and I were sitting down with Ray and Deb Giratana. They're they're like a power couple of of they do everything from visual effects to directing to their daughters and actress like wonderful people and we're talking and they said how did you pick up on all these weird characteristics to and choices to make for playing Larry Hall and Blackbird and you know the answer i gave them was just i love watching people if i'm in an airport and i have 45 minutes to wait around for my flight i'm not really begrudging or bemoaning it it's an opportunity for me to pause and watch total strangers this guy pulls out his sandwich from Arby's and he starts eating. Oh, I notice he's eating with the wrapper half on the sandwich because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. But then he gets Arby's sauce on his fingers, licks his fingers, and wipes them on his pants. So clearly, being sanitary doesn't matter to him. You know, it's it's about finding all the little things and all the little people and making up stories in your head of that old improv rule. If this is true, what else is true? Right. And and those characteristics speak to greater things, both about humanity or the person in particular. So I once again, that's me. That's me kind of ranting, but also saying that being analytical about the pieces that make up people, you know, it's just being a journalist. If you can be a journalist of humanity and then try to emulate those things, you're a great actor. It doesn't mean you're Daniel Day-Lewis or Viola Davis. It means that you pay attention. And any of right. us have that ability. It's not like it's a me thing. It's it's a human thing. Yeah. That's what I feel like a huge part of my job is. Understanding and observing human behavior. And that being able to unlock that behavior can very often unlock the, the physicality, the, the voice, the everything of a character. There's something really communal about the experience of watching film and TV. You know, people sometimes want to compliment me and say, wow, you, how did you do that character? And I'm like, I was doing you. You're how I did that character, you know? It's it's not as crazy or complex as people would think if you can have the fearlessness and specificity to, to dive into those things that you've experienced. That role Tom Cruise played in Tropic Thunder, people are obsessed with that, you know? They're like, man, Tom Cruise, and it's like, He's really he's doing what Dwayne Johnson did in the WWE, where he's taking some piece of him and then amplifying it to a psychotic degree that makes it entertaining. Tom Cruise, like many humans, has an ego. What if you took that anger and ego and amplified it to a billion? You have less <laughs> grossman, you know? Doesn't mean Tom's a bad guy. It means that we all have some ugly and some sin and some truth and reality to us. And if we choose to go 90 on a detour. That's what Les Grossman looks like. You're going 90 yeah. miles an hour on a, a curvy detour exit, you know? Yeah. You bring up something else, too, that I think is is especially true. I've talked to a bunch of people about specificity and yeah. that unlocking the key to a character, unlocking a believability, people think it's about being universal, right? You create a universal character that more people will can relate to. But ultimately, it, it's about finding those specific things. The guy who wraps the sandwich, but then wipes it, licks and wipes on, on his pants. Those two things don't go together, but they do because you right. saw it and it exists within him, right? 
Oh, you just said everything, dude. It's it's that idea of I wrap the sandwich as to not get my hands dirty. Then I get my hands dirty, <laughs> and I unconsciously am wiping them on my clothing, which is the very thing I uh, <laughs> seem to protest or promulgate, you know. And that contradiction is is man, is that everywhere? Yeah. I did the show Kingdom with Frank Grillo about MMA fighters, and I was just a recurring guest star, but. Man, there was a day where I had a scene with Matt Loria in season one. And while I'm doing it, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if when I get mad at Matt Loria's character, if I say this is fucking BS. So I'm abbreviating the word bullshit by saying BS, (laughs) but then I'm saying this is fucking BS. Um, I just thought it was super funny. And I did it and it it cracks me up to this day thinking about it because it's like the sandwich thing. Right. I'm going to have the wrapper on, but I'm going to wipe my hands on my pants. <laughs> and, you know, that that that's just sort of a hallmark of, of behavior is contradiction, being hypocritical. You know, and I think most things, if you juxtapose and you bring comedy to drama or you bring drama to comedy or you bring calm in a horror film or you bring horror in a calm film, it's like contradiction is always going to be interesting, isn't it? That's right. Um, you book a few other things after traveling to Hollywood, including a, a show you were a, allegedly a fan of, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, man. Yeah. You're a fan of that show. I love that show. It was a big deal for me to go from like to go from watching It's Always Sunny in my underpants with four of my guy friends in college drinking watered down natural light type of beer cans to a year later getting the part and hanging out with Charlie Day and Glenn and Rob. Like that's surreal, man. That's like some weird real life magic stuff. It was a big deal for me. And it's funny you bring that up because I had not seen Glenn Howerton or Charlie Day since I shot the show, like May, June of 2010. And in the last week, I have run into Glenn Howerton and Charlie Day both for the first time in 12 years. Wow. And it was such a funny, chummy, cozy little reunion of like, it's so fun to get to be giddy and catch each other up on our lives and and to thank them properly for giving me a great gig that meant a lot to me. And, you know, those residuals matter. There were times where I was waiting tables and had no money. And all of a sudden, $320 residual for your episode of Sunny, and that helps you pay your rent that month. I mean, that I, I never forget that stuff, man. Yeah. As you just alluded to, you uh, well, the jobs dry up a little bit. You moved back to Michigan. Is that right? Oh, that sucked. And what was the decision there? You just you didn't have money or, or what? Oh, dude. Man, thank God I persevered because I, I could have easily given up like giving up, giving up in my first year in Hollywood. I did two independent films, an independent film with Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels. I did that indie with Jennifer Connelly and Ed Harris. I had a lead role series regular in a pilot presentation at CBS with Larry Charles and Ant Hines. Wow. I had the guest star on it's always sunny and I had a co-star on community. So I booked five jobs in 14 months and I thought I was Mr. Cool. I thought I was the next Jonah Hill. 
And true to form, you know, God humbled me and I couldn't, I couldn't find a day job out there. I applied to 60, 70 places on Craigslist. I couldn't get a job at Subway or McDonald's, but I could get a guest star opposite Danny DeVito on It's Always Sunny. Right. I mean, this is the world I was living in. I think I had a callback or two for Bones. I went out for a guest star in some episode of Bones where I would play like a guy at a bowling alley or something. That would have saved my ass. I needed that five hundred or $5,000 guest star on Bones to stay in LA. I was down to three, 400 bucks. I was sleeping on the floor of my buddy Matt Ryan's apartment. So things were getting bad. I remember I, I went on a date with a female friend of mine and I had 250 bucks left in my name, I think. And I found out I didn't get Bones. So I took her out on a date to get sushi and go see this movie Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal. And as we're saying goodbye in the Arclight parking lot area, she goes, let's go get protein shakes and go for a walk or hang out next week. And I, I say to her, I go, I can't. She goes, why? I go, uh, I'm broke. I have to move home. And she goes, why did you take me out on a date and spend all that money? I go, I guess I wanted to go out with a bang. And I hugged oh. her goodbye. I walked down Hollywood Boulevard. I walked past the Improv Olympic IO Theater, which I was a big fan of. And some guy sees me, this guy, Jeremy. He goes, Paul, what are you doing? I go, hey, man, I'm like trying not to cry. I'm in a bad place emotionally. And he looks at me. He goes, you're going the wrong way. And he means you're going the wrong way, like Improv Olympic. You're walking away from the theater. Come on in. But, I, you know, it, it's resonating with me. Like you're going the wrong way, like you're leaving town. I cross the street and I run into Tony Hawk. And I'm like crying. My face is all blotchy. Tony Hawk is literally just walking side by side next to me. I look over and see him and I go, hey, man, I, I don't have anything to say about your skateboarding, but I just saw source code. It was pretty good. He goes, yeah, my nephew saw that. He said that was pretty good. I got to see that. <laughs> I'm, like just, I'm talking the most surreal, weird moment of my life. Crying, saying goodbye to a woman I have this like affection for. And I'm saying goodbye to the city. I have 130 bucks to my name and I think I flew home the next week and I worked at a bowling alley. I worked, by the way, that's funny. I auditioned to play a guy in a bowling alley and six months later I'm working at a bowling alley in my hometown <laughs> and uh, I worked at a grocery store in a bowling alley. I moved to Detroit to become a mortgage banker for seven weeks for uh Quicken loans and one reverse mortgage for Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. So wait, you were given up. You were done. No, no, no. I, okay. I just went home. I didn't have any money and I was sleeping on the floor. Right. So it was just, it was an untenable situation. Right, right, right. I just met being a mortgage broker. That sounds like you're changing careers. No, that was just to make some money. Just to make some money. I thought okay. I'll do this for a year. I'll save up 20 grand, 30 grand. I'll move back to LA and I'll be financially, fiscally responsible. Because, you know, I was also just bad with money, man. Dude, a regular day for me, I'd wake up at 9, 10 a.m., walk down to Solar de Coanga or Cafe Etc., Kitchen 24, or Groundworks Coffee. It was like the Coanga Strip. Yeah. And I would just sit around all day eating, like, club sandwiches and drinking coffee and eating scones while, like, writing screenplays and running into comedians and people. I admired that was like every day of my life. I'm just dropping 50, 60 dollars 
right. on diner food and chilling. And then at night I'm going to somebody's improv show and I'm getting drinks after and we're getting in and out. Like I was burning through money just being a slobby, you know, idiot. And uh, it caught up with me and I, I had to learn a hard lesson for sure. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in president ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. What brought you back to Los Angeles? A friend of a friend said, hey, I read a pilot you wrote. I watched your demo reel. I think you're really talented. Do you want to come crash on my couch for like a few hundred bucks? So I took this guy up on that and I moved to, back to LA. I had done two levels of IO theater 
and stand up in Chicago for six months while working at a Starbucks for like 40 hours a week. So I had a little bit of money. I moved to LA January, 2013, and I'll have been back 10 years this January. And I, I took a bunch of odd jobs. I did everything from story producing for food network to stand up comedy to uh, waiting tables and working at five guys in Ventura Boulevard and studio city. I mean, I jumped all over the place and then eventually Kingdom, that show with Frank Grillo, that was my break. Season two, they said, hey, we're going to bring you back. Instead of paying you a thousand bucks an episode, we'll give you, you know, 5,500 or or 6,000 and we'll give you like 10 or 12 episodes. And I was like, whoa, I get to quit my day job. Holy crap. Right. And I, I, I haven't had a day job since March of 2015. You do 27 episodes of Kingdom. Yeah. And then shortly around that time, you book I, Tanya. Tell me about the audition. Yeah, I had a fun little streak in the autumn of 2016 where, man, it's so fun to think about. I'm just grateful to God that I got the opportunity. Yeah, sorry. Sometimes I just have a moment where I realize how blessed I am and it's absurd it's humbling it's awesome man i was running out of money fall of 2016 i was wondering if i needed to get another day job i was waiting on kingdom to have me back for season four i think it was and sure enough around my birthday october 15 of 2016 i book an under five line on superstore um a small role in super troopers too because i had become friendly with kevin heffernan and then i book a pilot, a series regular role in a pilot for Lifetime where I'm playing opposite like legitimate actors like Eric Balfour and Dominic Monaghan and Mm -hmm. um, all these wonderful people. So I booked like three jobs in a month and I was like, wow, you know, thank God I'm I'm back in it. And I go shoot this pilot in Vancouver. And while I'm there, must have been the last like three days of filming. I was about to leave like mid-November and I get an email about Itania, and they say the script was on the blacklist. It's a true story. They got Margot Robbie and Allison Janney, and it's the guy who directed Lars and the Real Girl. I'm like, dude, I'm used to like going out for guest stars on <laughs> Two Broke Girls, and that's that's a good that's a good month for me. Like, what the <laughs> hell is this? So. I, I read the script and I'm laughing my ass off. And I'm like, this is like David O. Russell and Christopher Guest had some psychotic child. You know, this is so funny, but heartbreaking and crazy, but true. And uh, I look at a picture of the real guy and I go, this is a very specific looking guy. There are not many men in Hollywood who can act at that level who look like this slobbish dude. Right. So I already know I'm like, you know, if I, if I grow the mustache out a little bit and I, and I drill this, maybe I have a shot. So I go into audition, uh, I think just before Thanksgiving and there's a lot of different guys in, in the room. It's like Haley Joel Osment and some massive 350 pound dude. And then Neil Casey from upright citizens brigade. So it's like, it's a real hodgepodge of just, different looking white dudes. And I'm like, I I don't know that they even know what they want. I think they're kind of casting a big net. So I go up and, 
and I do the scene that goes well, and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm not improvising. I'm just really trying to honor what's there and make everybody happy. And the next day, my reps call me. They go, hey, man, you have a callback on Tuesday. And I always ask who the callback is with because I figure it's down to me and two or three other guys. That's what a callback is, right? Right. And they say to me, they go, it's just you. I said, that doesn't sound like a callback. That sounds like something else. They go, we think they have an offer out to another actor. I go, oh, it's got to be like Josh Gad or somebody really reputable who's going to get it. That afternoon, they come back to me. They go, hey, it's Josh Gad. And I'm like, <laughs> there's no freaking way I'm getting this. Josh has got frozen and, and he's worked with Kevin Hart and all these big people. And, and uh, come to find out, it was like a scheduling thing. They wanted Josh, but he was also doing Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express movie, I think. And it was in the middle of that whole deal. So I'm really nervous and I want the part so bad. The night before, mind you, I'll be a year sober from pot and alcohol, October 26th of this year. Don't vilify it, but it wasn't for me. Had to get away from it. So at this time, I was smoking a lot of weed, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get really high, and I, I'm going to get really stoned, and I'm going to chill out about this thing. But I get really wickedly stoned the night before, and then the next morning, I have a residual high where I'm almost high for the second audition. And I come in with a cookie and a coffee and a tracksuit. And I'm literally sitting on the floor because there are no seats in the lobby. And all the people around me taking up the seats are little kids with dark hair who are all cursing to their parents and guardians because they're auditioning to play young Scarface. <laughs> so I'm like borderline high. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing in the world. I, like, I'm just cracking up laughing. Uh, and, and I hear somebody upstairs screaming like an angry guy screaming. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And then he walks down and it's Aaron Paul auditioning for Galuli. And he walks past Billy Magnuson, who's got a mustache to play Galuli. And it, once again, it adds to the weirdness because I hadn't yeah. seen Aaron in years and he looks like he's ready to kill somebody. <laughs> and this <laughs> other guy's got a mustache and looks exactly like Jeff Galuli. And I'm like, this is such a circus. So I go upstairs and I literally, I acted like I didn't even care. I did the part really well, but like, I was very much like, I think my parting words were you guys, this project's awesome. Whether you choose me or not, you're about to have a lot of fun. I'm excited for you guys. So if I don't see you, if I don't see you, enjoy the film, man. Kind of went out with one of those. Every time I've said that in audition, I get the part. I don't know what it is. <laughs> There's something to it because it's worked every time and I got the part. And Were you proud of the movie when it when you saw it? I, I kind of loved the movie because it does a lot of things I like in my entertainment that I watch. I cared about the characters. I laughed out loud. I felt like it handled dark comedy really well, kind of like the Coen brothers do or David O. Russell. Yes. And I thought I did a good job. Like I, I enjoyed my own performance and thought like, way to go, Paulie. You, you did it, buddy. Yeah. I was just proud to be coming off the bench and, and showing up with them. And, and it did provide a lot of new opportunities and, and new relationships, which helped. Yeah. And once again, it didn't change my life right away. It right. really didn't. I, I, I shot the film and I had some money in my pocket, but it wasn't a lot of money. It got me right. through the year. And then, you know, Black Klansman was, was a nice thing where 
I came back from TIFF where Itani did really well and I auditioned for Black Klansman. And I just, I had a lot of confidence because Itani did so well at TIFF that it kind of propelled my confidence to walk in and do a director session with Spike Lee and just be myself and improvise and do all the things I do. And Spike asked for my cell phone number and he was like totally on board. Like, I totally get who you are. I totally get what you do. Let's do this. He asked for your cell phone number in the audition. Is that right? Yeah, which is nuts. I mean, who? That's crazy. That's never happened to me. No. And so there I am with Itanya coming out, Black Klansman in post-production. But I still, you know, I did New New York Local Hire for Black Klansman. I think I made like 10 grand. And after I tithe to my church and I give to my agents and managers and taxes or whatever, I probably only made like six grand on Black Klansman. Wow. So I borrowed 10 grand from my parents' retirement fund January of 2018 just to get by and not have to get a day job again. And then I signed with CAA and things started, the ball started rolling between having great agents and having Spike and Margo in my corner, you know, that gets around. And, and I, I did like five jobs in 2018 and it just spiraled and rolled and I started working and doing stuff I was really proud of. Yeah. Um, you finish two big movies and then you are cast as the title character in Richard Jewell. Now I have to tell you something. I don't know. I'm assuming you don't know this. I was in Centennial Park when the bomb went off. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. This is before cell phone. So this is 96. And I went into House of Blues alone, had three buddies I was meeting and couldn't find them. And I went outside to a payphone in Centennial Park, called my parents and said, hey, I'm going to get on. They call it Marta, the subway stop that went out toward my parents' house, but that I was still going to need to be to be picked up from there. And I hung up the phone and the bomb went off. And I still remember the sensation. What I didn't experience was a loud sound like a bomb. My overall experience was like it was devoid of sound. Like it was like it went off and then it was that right afterward, it was almost like the sound, all the sound got sucked out of everything. And I just immediately went to the subway station to try to get the hell out of there. It was very clear what had happened. And I will never forget this, <laughs> that I got to an escalator to go down to get on the subway. And I go through, I'm alone too, granted with no cell phone. And by the way, what are my parents doing at home? They're watching Olympic coverage. So they see, they know where I am and they see that this bomb has gone off and there's no way for me to communicate. I just had to get out of there. Yeah. Pre-cell phone. I go down the escalator and they stop the people right behind me. And in conversations with some other police officers at the bottom, the reason they did that is if you're really trying to hurt people, I guess you put a bomb off and then you put off bombs where people are going to go shortly after that. 
And right. Oh my gosh. Everything at that point, you know, was fine. I met, but I had very nervous and worried parents who for 45 minutes to an hour or whatever had no idea where I was or what actually had happened as they were watching it unfold. So my point Dude. being this uh, movie, I was very much looking forward to because um, you lived it. I lived it. Yeah, I was there. Um, I'm told that your photo was on the board in the production office and they said that they were looking for someone that looked like this. Is that true? Yeah, man. It was so weird how that happened. So apparently Jeff McLeod is uh, the casting director for Eastwood and they were trying to figure out who could play Richard Jewell. Now, mind you, at the time it was supposed to be Leo and Jonah. They were hot off of Wolf of Wall Street and wanted to work together again. And Jonah was going to play Richard. Leo was going to play the attorney, Watson Bryant. And, you know, Eastwood was considering, like, who else could play it, I guess. And Jeff Micklatt and Jessica Meyer, they showed him a photo of me that, that they had put up as a sample. And Eastwood just looks at the photo and he pauses. He goes, who is that guy? And then he pauses and he goes, yeah, I think that's the guy. And they're like, what do you mean, what do you, mean you think that's the guy? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I think that's the guy. And they're like, we'll, we'll bring you some tape on him so you know what you're getting. And they showed him my demo reel with scenes from Kingdom and I, Tanya and Black Klansman. And he goes, yeah, he could do it. And like said it nonchalantly, like he could do it. That's the guy. <clears throat> so I'm in Thailand shooting to five bloods, this war film for Spike, which would prove to be, you know, one of Chadwick Boseman's last films and one of Spike's greatest, I think. I'm kind of going through a rough patch where I'm alone in a country I've never been. I'm trying to be sober and and I'm kind of depressed and not in a good place. And I got offered the TV version of Richard Jewell for a lot of money, more than I had ever made. That's for sure. And then three days later, I get this call saying Clint Eastwood wants you to play Richard Jewell in a movie. I told CAA and my manager, Brian Walsh, I'm like, guys, did, am I getting offered the same character in opposing project 72 hours? <laughs> like between each other, like what the hell is going on? Does, does has this ever, ever happen in the history of Hollywood? And it got to the point where the casting director is like, well, now I heard Paul might do Eastwood's movie. And I'm like, I don't even have an offer. I'm just like getting a verbal confirmation from my reps. So it got down to the wire and they're offering me more money than anyone in my family's ever made in a year to do Richard Jewell, the TV show. And then verbally Clint goes, come do my movie. But Clint, the project was at Fox Disney bought Fox and Clint only works with Warner brothers. So there's a whole fiasco behind the scenes about getting the rights to the movie that has not been ironed out yet. So it comes down to the wire and my reps go, you got to choose. And I said, man, you can only operate out of fear or love. The Bible talks about perfect love casting fear out. Fear would tell me to take the paycheck for the show. Love would tell me to work with Clint Eastwood. Tell him I'm working with Clint Eastwood. So my reps are ecstatic. And then I have to sit with that decision for three more weeks in Thailand before I get back to the States and hope to God that the movie's happening. So I turned down like seven, wow. $800,000 for a movie that might happen with no offer on the table from Eastwood. Unbelievable. I go back to LA. I meet with Clint on the Warner lot. Sure enough, he got the rights. And that journey making that movie was 
the the best job I've ever had. I met my wife via a dating app while I was filming the movie. We now have a son together. Like that movie changed my life and and I'm forever grateful that Clint took a chance on me because I think the studio wanted a movie star and mm-hmm. uh th- they got me instead, you know. Well, I think you're a movie star now, my friend. I'm just going to I'm just going to point that out. So I think they they ended up getting you and a movie star. Did you spend any time with Bobby, Richard's mom? I met her on the Warner lot with Watson Bryant, the attorney. And they were so easygoing. They were so supportive. Both huge fans of Clint, which it helps when the boss is there to shake hands, kiss babies, take selfies. I asked some questions about Richard. I said, what kind of food did he eat? What kind of movies did he watch? Like, I wanted all the day-to-day particulars. Because all the dramas in the script, I don't have to ask them, was Richard afraid when they pinned the bombing on him? Like, I don't need to ask about the bombing. I need to ask about who he was as a man. Right. And, you know, it seemed like he was a bit of a teacher's pet to his own detriment where he wanted to people please and love people and serve people, but um, also felt undermined and underutilized and kind of hurt by the comments and jokes of other people. And, And I think it also made him an angry sort of unrestful creature. So that's what I latched on to and, and getting their sign off. You know, like I, I tell people in interviews, I, I say I got on the red carpet and was going to the premiere for Richard Jewell in November of 2020. And Bobby Jewell and Watson Bryant told me watching you was like having Richard back for two hours. And I was like, that's how arrogant and ego filled and stupid would it be to care about award season or the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes when the people who loved him and knew him best felt they got to experience him again through our story we told. Like, nothing's better than that. Like, are you kidding me? So uh, I was really proud of the film and it, it made me a better actor and it I made such great friends from it where Sam Rockwell and I now will text each other YouTube videos and, you know, to think I got to work with one of my heroes and I got to bring some piece of even minute closure to the Jewel family in that community, that, that means the world to me. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, 
we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. It's got to be like a, a Hollywood first. I don't know if it's a first, but that you have played now in your really young career three iconic roles where you're playing real live people, like people that existed before. Right. I, I was talking to um, Kevin Pollack, who was an amazing stand-up comedian. He was talking about finding the key and that once you find the key to a person then the impersonation if you will becomes very simple but it's about finding that key are you looking for a key yeah i think i think the key is uh knowing who they are as a person rather than who they are as some constructed life event you know when you go to play a serial killer you you got to learn who they are because if you're just watching serial killer documentaries or youtube clips of charlie manson it's like right that's like that's like saying i'm gonna learn how to be a chef because i spent a lot of time at restaurants like it just doesn't really make sense (laughs) uh so with larry hall and blackbird it was all about what does he want and what are his defects with sean eckhart and itania same thing richard jewell it's like these guys are broken people who have probably misconstrued the heart of masculinity, which is responsibility. And they think that masculinity is something where you, you're in charge or you're an authority or you're exacting revenge on those who would hurt you or your ideology. And so I think I've gotten to explore that and make it honest. And, you know, if I'm saying, what is the key to those guys? The key to Sean Eckhart is the spirit of religion. He has bought into this thing so much that, 
if you showed him the truth in plain sight, he wouldn't know it. With Richard Jewell, it's all about duty. You're in a place of service and duty. A lot of that duty was not breaking down and crying all the time. You know, my greatest joy with Richard Jewell was how do I try to hold back the tears until the diner scene and then let it all, let the dam break and let the flood flow. So yeah, I, I think religion, duty, and then with Blackbird, Larry Hall, the key to him is uh, deception. I've always said that evil's highest honor is deception. You know, it's it's this prank with dire uh, consequences for the victim. And my character had been deceived and then he chose to deceive. It's, it's just a very sad, dark thing to partake in. And, you know, I'm glad there isn't a season two of that show because I couldn't fucking do it. You couldn't? I, I couldn't play that guy another. Even when people ask me to do the voice to make them laugh and can you do the high-pitched voice? It's like, I don't mind doing it for them for a second, but it's like, I'm not looking to even joke about that guy. I don't love joking about him because it, it was a real thing that happened. Yeah. I heard that you actually lowered the octave of his voice because his was even higher. Is that true? Oh, my goodness. There was nothing to research, Brian. Like Richard Jewell and Sean Eckhart, I had all his video footage. It was like cheating. I literally felt like I was cheating where I could just imitate and, and try to live in those things they were doing. But with Larry Hall, there was nothing but a 12-second audio clip in some random news documentary about the killings. Hmm. And in it, his voice was slower and at times just like psychotically high. I thought to myself, I'm like, well, if I do this for six episodes... At some point, the audience is going to have some fatigue. Worst case scenario, it could turn into like an SNL Mad TV character. Right. So I thought I'll lower the register. And then Dennis Lehane helped me figure out that we can raise the register and make it higher pitch when the character's lying or trying to put on this character. I noticed that. That's amazing. And, you know, I couldn't have done that without Dennis's help. We discovered that together. And he helped me play clean up and find a way to use the voice to, to our advantage. And I, I really hope it's not distracting. I apologize to people if it is. But, you know, Mahershala Ali in Green Book, the real guy he played, that doctor, that musician, he apparently his voice was cartoonishly distractingly high and he had to kind of cut, cut it down and dilute it. The best thing to do for any actors listening is try to find a real way to present that voice. And if you end up emulating or imitating something cerebral or spiritual about the person, it will come off as though you're imitating them perfectly rather than look at me raising my eyebrow the way they raise their eyebrow. You know, it's, it's not always about the exactitude of a visual. It's about the exactitude of the intention. If that makes sense. Yes. If anyone hasn't seen it, Blackbird streaming now, Paul gives just a brilliant performance. I'll call it brilliant. I I was really taken with what we talked about before, the dichotomy within the character, his level of I guess knowing. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. His level of of um are you trying to get at the cognizance? The character was like self-aware, acting unaware. Yes, yes, I think that's it. I think that the dichotomy between yes, what he was aware of, of how he was perceived, how he perceived himself, his deception, 
I mean, it's really hard to play dumb, right? Like they, they say that's, that's one of the most difficult things is to play dumb and not be dumb, you know, to what degree as, as you're watching the story unfold, how much he is aware and is, is not the puppet, but the puppet master. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it in any articulate way, but no, you're, you're, you're getting at all of it with the contextual clues here, which is this idea of balancing um, truth with fabrication, knowing when to be truthful or fabricated based on who you're around or what you're trying to get at. And then also playing the character as someone who is kind of, you know, in sort of a disease state where sometimes you're not aware how sick you are. That is a weird thing to play to try to balance that and make decisions on what the character is thinking or how they're feeling, you know. And I hope I encapsulated that with whatever the hell I just said. I maybe I made it more confusing. But, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah I might have been I like think so. I think so. I think, I, think I, I was like, let me take you out of this labyrinth and put you in a spider's web. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I I think a lot of it, man, is layering thoughts, and I'll, I'll give you exactly what this is. If you and I go out to brunch, which I sure as hell hope we do sometime, yeah. but when you and I when you and I go out to brunch, we can hold a conversation while I still have these monitors up. You know, Jay Moore talked about how he used to go on stage and there were monitors. I'm looking at her cleavage while clocking the fact that the air conditioning is on way too high and I'm freezing cold while on stage. Someone's laughing, but their laughter is distracting. It's too loud. Are they mocking me? Like you and I can have a conversation at brunch and I'm still thinking of 17 different things, not because I'm not listening to you, but because I'm a human. Right. So I think with Larry, it was always about layering your thoughts, layering your intentions and sewing in joy or pain to every moment. Anybody can do it, but it's also like, it's kind of like the drummer who sings with the microphone next to the cymbal. You know, you, you can do it. Anybody could if they practice, but you are having to play two instruments at once for that type of character. You have to drum and do the kick pedal and use your hands while singing. Not, thank God, not every character is like that, or I'd probably go nuts. But I can do it once a year, once every year and a half where you got to do a character like that. I can't believe you just used that example. I've said this before, but I'm going to tell you um, the nerdiest writer's room joke on The Office is what you just said, that they made Kevin Malone the lead singer and drummer of a police (laughs) cover band because the singing is not on the beat of the drums. So in order to be the lead singer and drummer of a police cover band, you would have to be a musical savant and a genius. Unbelievable. But that's why they, that was their, like, they thought that was hilarious. That was their inside joke that nobody of course ever got, but that Kevin Malone was a musical genius. Uh, But that's what you're talking about. Yes. Having to do, having to do that. Um, What do you think that Larry's greatest need was? Whoa, what a question. I've done so many interviews. No, I don't think anybody's asked me that. Notice I'm usually rocket fire and ranty with these answers. This is clearly one I haven't been asked. Uh, I think his greatest need is something we all need, which is um, 
self-love and, and, and self-forgiveness. If he was really cutting off fingers to take rings off dead bodies in graveyards as a child, pretty sure you carry that into adulthood and feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with you and that you're bad. You pair that with uh, some social awkwardness and maybe even the medical issue of having been a twin and having the other twin get more nutrients or whatever they think might may have happened. That's a cocktail for, for disaster, not serial killer disaster. He had to make choices to go down that route. But some people are put at a disadvantage, and he absolutely was. And had he found God or found relationships that were purest and found some acceptance for self and acceptance communally, had he found self-love and self-forgiveness, I, I in no way think he would have been a serial killer. I just don't think so. And it's been proven, you know, I'm raising a son right now. I have a 16 and a half month old son named Harris. And you got to be careful how you raise boys, man. Not just kids. I mean, boys. It is so easy to just let them fall into this world of pornography and video game marathons and junk food behavior. And, And suddenly they think being a man is having freedom and being loud or having secrets or whatever this is. And, and I think Larry Hall is just this completely fucked story of a young man who never had a chance. And it's sad, man. He was a baby. Yeah. He was a baby like the rest of us. And then X amount of circumstances and lack of guidance or tutelage or love, you got a serial killer. So it's uh, I think you needed love and forgiveness is my guess, which is something we all need. Yeah. Um, Cobra Kai. Yeah, let's bring it up. Let's bring it back up. Cobra Kai is uh season five is out and uh Stingray is alive and well. I hope people watch it. I read that most people stop you about Cobra Kai. hundred percent. The last couple of weeks I've run into producers like Brian Grazer and J- Jerry Bruckheimer. None of them know who the hell I am. And I don't say that like begrudgingly or negatively. I just like factually there's a mass amount of people in Hollywood in our industry who have no idea who I am, but people on the street like freak out and yell stingray from three blocks away. Uh, (laughs) And like, if I, if I see, I was in Santa Barbara with my wife and my son and we saw this, this kid wearing a Cobra Kai shirt. And I just walked up to him and surprised him and said, Hey, it's stingray. You know, not because I'll feel good if I'm recognized. It's just this thing of like, if I were that kid and I were a Cobra Kai fan and a cast member from the show just showed up on my vacation and took a photo of me and, and high fived me, like I would, it'd be like magic or something, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing I like more than giving people those moments. And that's, that's been the fun of all this is I make a living being creative and it's, it's wonderful, but it's also, I get to give back in effortless ways. It costs me nothing to take two minutes to make a nine-year-old feel like a million dollars. You know, that's really fun. That's awesome. People ask me, they're like, why do you do, you, you were the star of a Clint Eastwood movie. Why would you do Cobra Kai? It's like, cause it's fun. I need money and it makes people happy. Like th- those are three very good reasons to do something. You know, I might be in Cobra Kai season 12. I have no idea, uh, <laughs> but I do know it pays. I have fun and it, it makes people happy. That's awesome. Um, your favorite charity, Serve LA. Tell me a little bit about that and why it's so important to you. 
Dude, thanks for bringing that up. Serve LA is a wonderful organization in the heart of Hollywood. What they do is they they serve and feed the homeless community in Hollywood in particular. So they serve 200 people a day. They do a breakfast and a dinner. They give out free showers and free clothing to people. And they learn their names and they greet them. And they they have waiters and waitresses in a cafeteria setting like they're at a restaurant. And they're given real silverware like metal forks and spoons and knives and plates so that there's some dignity. They're not just being given a cellophane wrapped sandwich and sent on their way and told they can't use the bathroom because of a COVID law. That's what attracted me to them. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to raise awareness and, and hopefully raise some money. My birthday is next month. I turn 36 and I'm also celebrating one year of sobriety. So for my birthday, I'm going to put on a little fundraiser to raise awareness and Normally, people are like, can I buy you a drink or buy you a shot for your birthday? It's like, I, I have something else I'd love pe- people to give their time or money or effort to. And I hope they'll check it out and go to the website or something. Um, Serve LA is is doing grassroots loving on the homeless community, and they do it with a lot of dignity. Dude, you're awesome. Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a drink next month through, um, through Serve LA. Thanks, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, you're awesome. I'm such a big, big fan of yours. And now getting to chat with you, truly, you're an even better person. So God bless you. And thank you so much for coming on and oh, talking thanks, to me. I, I, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for entertaining me for so many years, man. God bless you. Thank you. Dude, thanks. Paul, it was so great talking to you today. Thank you for swinging by and having this conversation with me. I am a huge fan and I will be watching anything and everything that you come out with next. To everyone else who came along today's journey, thank you as always. We couldn't do it without you. Why would we? Uh, make sure to follow us on at Off the Beat. Share some of your ideas of who we should have on the pod and I will be back next Tuesday with another episode that hmm, I think you might like yeah yeah I think you might like it a lot and that's all I'm going to say have a great week everybody Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me Brian Baumgartner alongside our executive producer Ling Lee Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton.
If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 